Heavenly Father, thank you for this day that you've given us to come here together, your children. Come to this place to worship you, to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the anointing that rests on me and on your precious word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your help to go forth and to break every yoke. Take this seed and bury it deep in the good ground of these believers' hearts and all who will hear this message everywhere in the world. Let them to nurture this seed of this word and protect it, help it to take root and bear fruit in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I am blessed to be here. You ever hear that story about that that fellow that woke up on Sunday morning, his mama, I like to picture her flipping that light on like my mom always did, say, rise and shine. Oh my goodness. When you're not ready to rise and shine, that's a not a nice thing. But his mama went in there and told him, rise and shine, time to get ready for church. He's like, oh mom, I don't... I don't want to go to church today. And the people down there don't like me and I don't like them. Why do I have to go? She said, because you're 40 years old and you're the pastor. <laughs> I thank God I don't have that problem. Amen. <laughs> we might be small, but we're awesome. You know? If we ever get... All three-thirds of us here at the same time, we'd, we'd make a pretty big bunch. We'd have to move some chairs around and stuff. But, you know, most churches suffer from the, uh, I'll be generous to call it the 80-20 rule. I sometimes call it the 90-10, but where 20, 20% participate and 80% spectate, you see. But I believe we got a, a church that God has just sent in people who love, people who are genuine. I pray for every one of you. You girls too, because I prayed you in here. I prayed before I ever meet you, I pray about you. And I pray for all of you here. And I, I know a lot more about some of you than you do. It's all good. Amen. I know God loves you and I hope you know that too. He's not mad at you. Chuck, being here today, it makes me think of Andrew more so. Because I know he just come from there. With Andrew would say, God, not, not, he's not mad at you. He's not even in a bad mood. <laughs> the war is over, amen. We talked about that last week, didn't we? There's a lot going on. A lot going on. I have uh, somebody not here today, but... Um, even from within our church and, and I have a, a I don't know a, a congregation all over the nation that somehow has attached itself to me as their pastor they don't go to church a lot of them and uh, but they I communicate with them other ways lots of other ways and then other people hear on the message but I have people asking about these times and the things that are going on and about prophecies and so forth and so on and I'm not afraid to say I don't know if I don't know. And then 
if I need to just take time and pray about it to see if the Lord tells me anything, I'll do that too. But uh, and other things I do know, and I just feel very confident about. But uh, I know that uh, God put this president in office. Uh, I know that it's going to be another term. I know that God is not pleased with Democrats or Republicans. Don't get me wrong. He's not. He's not so inclined. But there are things that push you so far one way that you have no other choice if you're a Christian. Amen. And that's where we're at in these times. For sure. Um, I'm just going to touch briefly because I'm scared to even... Sometimes I don't like to go to the places in my Bible that I want to touch on because if I go there, I'll see something else and just keep going. That's okay. (laughs) You know, I just say that stuff jokingly. I believe the Holy Spirit is always leading and guiding. Amen. But in the in the Bible, they refer to Babylon some, you know. The the prophet Isaiah prophesied, and he wrote about Babylon. In the Old Testament, there was a city called Babylon in ancient Persia. You're familiar. We sent some boys over there, didn't we? Not too long ago. Commander. (laughs) And uh, it's nothing but a place in the dirt now. But at one time, Babylon was the greatest city in the world. And it became a, a nation that ruled the whole known world and um, conquered everybody. It, it, uh, it imposed its worldview, <laughs> its worldview, which was not a godly worldview, on, on everyone. And on all the peoples it conquered. And if it didn't destroy you, it subverted you. Okay? This was, this was, uh, oh, 500 and 600 years before Christ. And Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 47, he wrote about this nation. And. <clears throat> It was a brutal and callous and uh, proud people. And they just thought they were invincible. They thought they were supposed to reign over the whole earth and that they would forever, you see. And it says in Isaiah 47, verse 8, I am, it says, she said in her heart, talking about Babylon, I am, and there is no one besides me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. So proud, so arrogant. And in Isaiah 47, he goes on to prophesy because, in response to the wickedness and the corruptness and the arrogance and the self indulgence of Babylon and the brutality towards all of those she governed. 
the Lord announces sudden doom. And Isaiah prophesied about it in verse 11. He said, but evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. I'm reading from the English Standard Version because it speaks English. <laughs> Again, I think of Andrew. The one I really like to read is the nearly inspired version, the NIV. It's very readable. But I, I, I use NIV to say sometimes in the NIV, God is not invited. NIV. <laughs> so I don't preach out of that one, but I do. it's easy to read. But evil shall come upon you, declared Isaiah about Babylon, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster shall fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone. And ruin shall come upon you suddenly, of which you know nothing. And history tells us that that Babylonian empire fell very suddenly and unpleasantly to the Persians. When Cyrus the Great came and conquered them in 539 B.C. And then later on, when Darius was king, the Babylonians revolted unsuccessfully. And as a consequence, they experienced many of the atrocities that they imposed on the brutalities that they put on these other peoples they had conquered and ruled over the years, you see. And the Babylonian men, it was so bad, they, they were would, they would strangling their own wives and children to keep them from starving and, and, and facing these atrocities, you see. And then when the... When the when the, the city fell, the historian Herodotus says that uh, the gates were pulled down and 3,000 of its leading citizens were impaled on the city walls. Yeah, that once great queen of the world who would rule forever, no one could touch it, was defeated and devastated and spoiled forever. And it, it comes back up 630 years later in the New Testament. By then, it's just placed in the desert. Just sand all around, you know. But it starts getting talked about again. Peter uses it as sort of a code when he mentions it in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 13 and 14. I'm, I'm telling you this because I'm going to tell you some other things, Okay. <laughs> He says, she who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. <clears throat> Peter uses that as his greeting. As if he's writing from Babylon. The problem was, he wasn't anywhere near Babylon. He was in Rome. People say, okay, then that means Rome is Babylon. Nope. Nope. He was referring to this new world culture, you see, that had risen up. Rome was the new Babylon, but what he was talking about was the, the culture of the seductive and subvertive culture uh, that can, were coming against the people of God. Amen. So Babylon had become a spirit, you see, a spiritual entity, the spirit of Babylon, you see. 
this foul thing that's opposed to God and thinks that it knows everything and it is right and God is a silly thing. Like they talk about the Greeks in the New Testament, like I was telling you last week. When they talk about the Greeks, they're talking about these these proud, influential, educated people who have educated themselves out of believing in God. Someone asked me about the, the Trump prophecy of Kim Clement from 2007 this week, and I I shared that with them, and where he foretold that the Trump will be my Trump, and he will be the president for two terms, and so forth and so on. This was 2007 talked a lot about he will not have my spirit when he enters the office but then he will and you'll have a praying man in the Oval Office and we know that this is true we know people that are on his prayer council amen they have Bible studies they pray right there in the Oval Office they pray in the spirit in the White House amen he's done more for the church I don't care when people talk to me about the man I do not defend him I say what's that got to do with anything he did this he tweeted this I, I don't so I don't, I mean, that's, that's bad. That's not good. Well, you said you should, yeah. He got his own salvation to work out with fear and trembling. He's, it's the platform. If he weren't elected, I may be in jail right now. And there may come a day when that's the case. When this spirit of Babylon, if it ever really takes hold and takes charge, you see. Do you get where I'm going today? <laughs> the final appearance of this mention of Babylon comes in Revelation chapter 17. Remember? I don't go into Revelation too often. Because I keep trying to lay more groundwork. More groundwork. I get excited about Revelation. And I told you all I went to that Bible study that time and I was like, oh Lord. They want me to teach on Revelation. And I'm just going to tell them how wonderful it is. And I knew they were very legalistic. And then that, <laughs> and my wife and I were talking about the number five for grace and all that. And a suburban goes across in front of us. Go, Will, number five. <laughs> and we did. And I ain't never stopped. Amen. Here's what he says in Revelation 17, 3 through 6. A woman sitting on a scarlet beach that was full of blasphemous names, and it had seven heads and ten horns. A woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a name of mystery, Babylon the Great. Mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints, the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. The whore of Babylon is the spirit of seductive culture actively engaged in the deception of God's people. The destruction of God's people. This is not going to be a hellfire and brimstone message. I'm just telling you some truth from the Bible. Amen? Amen. I need, 
I'll fast forward and tell you this ends well for you. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The beast that she rides upon, what Jesus is talking about here, means she's propped up by the forces of this anti-Christian government, you see. Not necessarily this anywhere in the world. You see, Babylon can be anywhere. And it is everywhere. It's basically the spirit of Antichrist. Amen. And when people, when we talk about the Antichrist, you have to go back and teach because a lot of people just think of it as a, there will be an Antichrist and he will come. Yes, there will be an individual, but the spirit of Antichrist has been here and will continue to be here until Jesus returns. You see, he was here when, when John wrote about him in the Bible 2,000 years ago. And that was in the last days, you see. If that was the last days, this is the last of the last days. The last days is this church age, this age of grace and truth in which we now live. Amen. She's going to keep rising up. Just like that Babylon, the real Babylon. It was destroyed and then just became a place, a little... Nothing hole in the desert surrounded by sand. But then it rises up again, you see. And then it, it'll be destroyed and rise up. But the enemy, he's not going to quit. Trying. The church has been under persecution since the church existed, you see. The culture is not neutral. In other words... When, when they, we lost the Scopes monkey trials in the media, amen, not in the court, but, and the church began to withdraw from education, entertainment, from the bullpen. 15 minute message guaranteed not to offend. Come get your cookies and free daycare. Amen. <laughs> I love everybody. I'm not opposed to throwing out a big net and seeing if you can catch a few keepers. Amen. There's good that comes out of every work, and I'm not opposed to anyone trying to work, do the things that they feel God has called them to do. So if I poke fun, it's just that. I laugh at me more than I laugh at them. Amen. But look, there's benefits to being small. We're here, and they're having communion online, amen. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. I do not mean to laugh. I'm just saying, God is good. We're blessed. What I mean by the culture is not neutral, is that there's a vacuum, you see. It's always going to be filled with something. You say, you can't legislate morality. Well, someone's morality is always being legislated. And if God-fearing good people refuse to stand up and speak out for Jesus, if God's not invited, He's a gentleman. 
when they kicked him the prayer out of schools in 62 the Bible out in 63 since then then, then it's school age crime children of school age their crime has increased 700% there's a void it has to always be filled there's a vacuum power struggle you see you take the power away from the people and you decide they're not smart enough to know what they need and, and just hand it over to a group of educated liberal elites, you know what's going to happen? Pretty soon, all the things that they took on board with them to help them get the votes they needed is going to overpower them and then, you know, ended up with Sharia or something like that. The military will be the dominant thing. And the, the political leaders, you see, instead of the people. You don't want that, folks. The devil is always going to attack God's people. He's going to come through the front door, through this Babylonian government. He's going to come through the back door, through the seductive, idolatrous culture the media, entertainment, etc., etc. That's why we need Christians raised up, <coughs> called to all these different businesses and, and, and uh, government and to the school boards and to the, to the, the bench, and to the pulpit. <laughs> there are some anointed pastors who have been relegated to glorified administrators. And they have demon boards that keep them from preaching the truth. And others that are standing up there that shouldn't be because they're really called to something else, you see. They did, made it as a career choice. It's another reason I don't take money from the church. Not just because we're small, but I, I'm glad God gave me work to do. And also I can always minister about money. But also it, I know that I will never be sucked in to the filthy lucre, you see. You can't scare me off. You can't threaten me away from the truth. And because of that, you benefit. Because God gets the glory. God gets the honor. God gets the praise. If God said it, that settles it. I'm not going to rip anything out of my Bible because it doesn't suit our lifestyle choices. Amen. Even if my... Life doesn't meet God's standards, which I hope they that it always does. But I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lower his standards to meet my level of acceptance, you see, or success in my Christian walk. We're all gonna just take it together and because anything he's telling us is because he loves us, amen. And I'm telling you these things because God needs you to understand what's going on in these times and, and how to deal with it. Jesus talked about the end times. I talk about the end times and my daughter, who I look at these, these beautiful granddaughters of yours and they're young and they hear me talk about end times. They're like, I ain't even got started yet. I don't want to hear that. 
I know. My daughter tells me the same thing. I'm not, I'm not rushing it in. And believe me, I can show you it's not time yet. No one knows the hour of the day, but we know the times and the signs. Amen. Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 talks about these end times. And if you look at just Matthew chapter 24 quickly, I want to show you in verses 13 and 14. Oh, Lord, help me. Hurry, because I, I want to share so many things. But I, God's going to make the trip. Amen. Matthew 24, verses 13. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. I'm going to back up. <laughs> he talks about all these things that are going to happen. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up for tribulation and put you to death. And he was talking to his disciples and, and others who have been martyred. And, and, you, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. This is about apostasy. This isn't something that we know is, 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 has to take place. And you see it taking place as people fall away from the church. Or they take what used to be a church and they make it what they want it to be. You know? Split. Because, you know, we're going we, we're gonna to call something that God calls evil good. And we're going to take that group with us who agrees with us. Because of that, we have to rip some of this out. And then we have to say... That 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All scriptures God breathed and given by inspiration of God is uh, just, that means that, uh, let's see, this is just an old book written by white men about what they thought about God, and it's not relevant for today. Just like everything, including uh, the climate, they say it's always changing. They say he's always changing. Or he really doesn't exist. Like Bill Gates says, he just had to... Uh, he believes that God is just something that, uh, basically he's talking down to you and he's just saying that in the old times when people didn't have any, they needed something to cling to, so they had to create something bigger than them. That's what he said. It's not true. God loves to use the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Those who are wise in their own eyes, you see. He's talking about apostasy. He's talking about, again, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Read about that. All the things that are to take place. And you see the signs of the times and, the, and all the negative things that are going on. And the, the hateful and ugly things that are going on. And you see that, hey man, we're closer now than we've ever been to Him returning. But he also talks about revival. These are two things that have to happen, you see. This great falling away from the church and from the people of God and this hatred toward the people of God, that is, has to take place. That's why you need to know the Word of God because you need to be, when I say, stronger than horseradish, huh? You need to be grounded on the rock. You need to build your life on the rock, the Word, the truth of God's Word on Jesus Christ because you, God is shaking 
Everything that can be shaken. Everything that is not of God will be shaken loose. And if, but if you know that you know... See, it's too late to try to tell me something other than Jesus is the Christ and, and is God. I've seen Him. I know Him. I love Him. And He loves me. With all my warts. I don't have any warts. That just means with all my misgivings. He doesn't love me because I'm lovely. He loves me because He's love. Amen. And that makes me love Him. You see, that relationship that I have with Him now that I'm born again and have His Spirit inside of me, and the more I grow in the grace and knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ and the the understanding of His unimaginable love for me and all the things that He has for me and has done for me, it compels me to live a better life, you see. I don't live a better life to earn relationship. I live a better life out of that relationship. It's not the root, it's the fruit. Hallelujah. I'm preaching better than y'all are. Amen. That's all right. That's about as excited as I get. (laughs) They put me on the treadmill at that darn doctor's office last week. Doing that again. Nonsense. I said, man, y'all fixed me a year ago. Now you're trying to kill me. What in the world? So two days later, after I healed up from that, I was out walking in the 98 degree heat with my wife. I walked a mile and, and I started thinking about that. And I said, you know what? Devil, you're a liar. And I, I took off jogging. I jogged a block. I already walked a mile now. And I walked a little more than I, I ran the, the next block and a half home. Touch the doorknob like you touch base when you're running and playing when you're a kid. Safe. Waiting for my wife to get there with the key. <laughs> uh, I told you what that doctor said. He said, uh, that heart... This guy got good news. He looks better. <laughs> better than, matter of fact, that one artery that we left behind, he said, it looks like, I said, what, my heart created its own new artery? He said, yeah. He said, God is good. Amen. <laughs> but in verse 14 of Matthew chapter 24, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. You know, there are 52 nations in this world that this gospel is illegal. There are people in this world that have never, ever, ever heard that Jesus was the Christ, and He came to this earth and became a man and died for their sins on the cross. Resurrected from the dead on the third day. Was seen by many. Ascended to the Father. Where he sits at the right hand of the Father in majesty. They don't know. They haven't heard that. That's got to happen. This is revival I'm talking about, folks. Great revival is coming to this earth. You better believe it. You better believe it. 
You don't have to believe it, but I hope you do. It's going to happen without whether you believe it or not. You know what I mean? You can tell a kid not to stick a paper clip in a wall socket because it'll electrocute them. Now, they can believe it or not. <laughs> it ain't going to change the truth, is it? <laughs> Acts 2.17 well, look, here's a, another witness for each one. 1 Timothy 4.1. You don't have to go there. Tell me when I find it. All the T's are back there together. I know that. 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus. All right. There's five of them. It's a number for grace. Amen. 1 Timothy 4, chapter, verse 1 says, now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage. Look, I won't say anything about Catholicism. I love Catholics. We generally have a blend of every... We've all come from somewhere. I didn't know... People used to ask me what denomination I was. I said, well, my great-grandfather was a Methodist pastor. No, what about you? I don't know. I went wherever the... <laughs> my wife says we went wherever the happy bus would pick us up and take us. <laughs> so, some of you don't know what I'm talking about. They used to have buses that would go in from certain churches and pick you up if you'd come to their church, you know. <laughs> I'm not against anybody, but I'm against doctrines or teachings of devils. And the Bible is very clear about some of them. I don't know why I went that far. I didn't even tend to read that far, but since I did... Forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received. If you uh, if you didn't oppose the word of God and require things of people that God said you shouldn't, then you wouldn't have the problems that you have. Amen. That's the apostasy again. Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 17. Acts chapter 2, verse 17, says, it's quoting the, the prophet Joel from the Old Testament. Peter stood up and he, he, he gave a sermon on the day of Pentecost, the 50th day after Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And... He said, in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my Spirit, capital S, that's the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, on all flesh. On, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. This is revival. This is the Holy Ghost. This is power. This is the world hearing about Jesus. Amen. This has to happen. 
That's a prophecy from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. That Peter repeated. And he's saying, this has come to pass. This has come to pass. And now we are living in the last days. In this church age. There was, there was a period of 1500 years before this church age of grace and truth that was called the law. That was the way in which God was dealing with his people. Now, he has set that aside, nailing it to the cross. That's what the devil used to accuse you with, those ten things that you cry about when they take them from the state capitol. It was just supposed to point out how bad you were and how much you needed God. Amen. Listen. God loves us. Don't worry about things that must happen. It's not pretty when the world seems to hate God and hate Jesus who never, ever. The word says, haven't you heard about Jesus of Nazareth? He was anointed with the Holy Ghost and with power. And he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. He never once put an affliction on anyone. He never turned anyone away. He loved everyone. He told the woman caught in the act of adultery. I, who, is there anyone left <laughs> to condemn you? He said, no, I don't either. I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. He told a couple of people, go and sin no more. He told one that he had healed. He said, go and sin no more, lest something worse happen to you. It's not him that he said, I'm going to do something worse to you. No. In John 10.10, 10, he said, it's the devil who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. In other words, when we sin, what he meant by that, something worse, is when we sin, we open doors for the enemy to come into our lives. And he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He'll come disguised as an angel of light. That means something good, somebody good, somebody who loves you, who wants to be your friend. Come on, come on. I'm your friend. Come on out here on the edge of this lamp. I got you. And then he'll leave you hanging every time. He's going to take you further than you want to go. Keep you longer than you want to stay and charge you more than you want to pay. Never changes. Apostasy, great falling away, revival, wonderful things within the true body of Christ. I know a minister, well, he's gone now, he's passed on, went on home, but he says that uh, it's going to come a day. Great revival will come upon the church and this segregated church, this church that calls itself church and the church that is really church and people are confused and that's just that same spirit confusing God's people. He said they're going to come a time when it's just like in the day with Moses and he went back to Egypt and he had that, what do you have in your hand? Moses, a stick. He said, take off. You can, you can do everything I got you to do with that stick. He got there and he threw that Rod down and it became a snake. Well, so did that spirit of Babylon who was running those wizards that were working there in Egypt, you see. They made a couple of them. Well, his snake 
gobble up their snakes, you see. <laughs> and this minister, I, I remember he said there's going to come a day when the true bride of Christ, adorned with all the gifts of the Spirit, walking in victory and love and power, will be opposed by these others who claim to be what they're not. And it'll be like, well, you throw your rod down and I'll throw down mine and we'll see. The fear of man brings a snare. We love everybody, but we won't we don't want to get into fear. We don't want to get into doubt. We don't want to get into unbelief. There were twelve spies that spied out the promised land. Ten came back with a negative report, and they had to die with that sinful generation in the desert. Only two had a good report, Joshua and Caleb. And then Caleb, I said last week, I think I said Joshua, I meant Caleb. And Caleb was getting his portion of land in the promised land. He, he said, give me, that, give me that mountain. I'm as strong as I was when I was 40. He was 80 then. He and Joshua had a good report. He said, yeah, there are giants in the land, but the God is with us. Giants are big, but so are the greats. Let's go. You see, I told you many before, I like that analogy of the seesaw. We made like a seesaw. We Carnal, natural things, what we can see, hear, taste, touch. The cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, all of those worries and struggles and strifes. And then we've got the truth in the spiritual realm, which is greater than this realm that we can see, but we can only magnify one at a time. And if we magnify, I told you there's 8,000 promises or so in here of God, and to you as a believer in Jesus Christ, the answer for all those promises when it pertains to you is yes and amen. Already been granted. Yeah, baby. Yes. Yes, sweetheart. Daddy loves you. That's yours. You want it? You have not because you ask not. And then when you ask, you ask with selfish motives. That's what the Bible says. Jesus said, everything I'm teaching you has to do with this law of sowing and reaping. Everything in the kingdom of God is based on in seed form. Talked about money a lot because it's something we understand. But he said, this money's the least of all these things. It's just a tool. But it just... You think of it as a seed. You, you plant plant some here and there. You plant it into good ground and you get a harvest. You get a crop in return. It's the same with your time, with your talents and abilities, your love and affection. You reap what you sow. This, the, the people who are influenced by the spirit of Babylon will maybe call that uh, karma or something like that. It's not karma. It's a spiritual law. That your Father in Heaven put in place for your benefit. He put a lot of spiritual laws in place. And they're at work. He, he hadn't changed them. He hadn't created anything since He rested on the seventh day. You see? He anticipated all of your needs before you ever, we ever, He ever put man in the earth. put seed in everything to reproduce after its own kind, you see. Even you came from a seed. 
What do we do? This day will come when Jesus returns like a thief in the night. No one knows the hour of the day, but we know the times. And we know that we're closer now than we've ever been. I think of that beautiful song, The Midnight Cry. At the midnight cry, we'll be going home. So what do we do? We continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let our blessings abound. Don't be afraid to walk in victory and power and to receive from God. Don't ever say, Lord, I have enough. I don't ask for anything else. You know what that tells me? You don't understand the word if you say that. And I'm not against anyone because a lot of us have felt like that before. Oh, I'm just thankful. I'm blessed. I don't, want, I don't need anything else. But if you say that, it tells me that you thought it was for you anyway. You are blessed to be a blessing. See? The water hose connected to the sprinkler. If you shut it off, God, don't, don't, no more. I've got all I need. Well, what about the yard around you? The field. The world. They need it. They need it. If you really believe that, you say, pour it on, Lord. Yes and amen. Let me find some of them promises. And then you just hold it up. God, you said, that preacher said, this is all for me. You said, continue to grow. Continue to grow spiritually. We talked about the fruit of the Spirit for weeks. We talked about the gifts of the Spirit for weeks. Because we need to know those things. We need to Embrace those things. If God has something for you, you should want it. If Jesus said that the disciples needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit and they had been with Him for three and a half years and He said, don't go try to preach in My name. Don't go try to do any miracle signs or wonders. Don't do anything. Just wait until you receive the promise from the Father. If, he, if, if Jesus needed it, He was baptized in the Jordan by His cousin and He received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Then He started doing miracles. They started doing miracles, signs and wonders. They started doing the work of the ministry the disciples after the day of Pentecost when they received the gift. If they needed it, then how arrogant are we to think we don't? Oh, that's okay. That, I, don't, I don't really want that. Well, fine. God loves you. I love you. But I'm saying, there's a, the yard around you is turning brown. My grass is green at home. I got the old sprinkler. I move it around the yard. I spray so far, I get the neighbor's car sometimes. Sorry. I leave a water spot, I wash it for you. Oh, it's just water, Will. No, it's not just water. Not in the Spirit. Amen? You're a three-part being. Spirit, soul, and body. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Your spirit was saved when you believed on Jesus, accepted Him as your Lord and Savior. You have the mind of Christ. You have one-third of your salvation is done. That old sin nature of Satan, who was your daddy before, is kicked out. God has moved in, sealed 
that spirit, one third of your salvation is over. But right now, your souls are being saved. James talks about that in James one twenty one, Talking about the Word of God, which is powerful, useful for the saving of your souls. What are you talking about? Your mind, your will, and emotion. This thing that was so screwed up from the world, and that spirit of Babylon that has been going in these eye and ear gates your whole life. And you couldn't help it for the most part. Plus... What we set before us all the time on purpose. But even just going around your day-to-day business, you're going to be corrupted by this this stuff. This is what overcomes it. Coming to find out who Jesus really is. How much He really loves you. How much He has for you. You know, the number one problem in this world is rejection. It's what causes these young men to go and join gangs. and, 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 And it causes people to do... The silly things they do. I don't know who my father was. When I found out that I had a father in heaven who loved me and he was awesome and he wanted to have fun with me and teach me things and show me things and give me things, man, I I went, I went all in. And really, that's the effect on everyone who really believes that, you see. But you have to believe it. You have to let your soul, your mind be renewed by the washing of the water of the Word with the help of the Holy Spirit. Just ask Him, help me. When you open this in your prayer closet, take this with you. Holy Spirit, help me. Help me. Give me revelation. That means give me understanding. Grow in the grace. Help me to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the more you grow in grace, the more you can give it. You see, grace is not something that you keep. You don't store it up. Take it with you to heaven. You you spend it all every day, you see. And then you get a fresh supply every morning. Give it away. I told you all, when God started impressing on me about... The fact that the grace was the real thing and that these people I was being ministered to that were telling me that God did His part. Now, now you I had a ministry. I'm not, I'm not kidding. They told, this minister told me that they had been with God, went to heaven, and, and I'm not against this person. I'm not against... I just want to use this as an example. But they went to heaven and Jesus showed them something that looked like a far-off drive-in movie theater screen, they said. It was so really far off. And they got closer... Jesus pointed out in the bottom corner of this huge picture screen, there was like a pinpoint, like a, like a writing pen, dot on the bottom right corner of that screen. And Jesus showed them that that was a sin that they had, that person had committed in their life. And they had, they had stopped doing that sin, but they still had thought about it from time to time and thought, kind of liked it. And because of that pinpoint sin and that thought, he took them to hell and showed them hell and said, that's where you're going because of that. Now that's the kind of teaching I was under. And that's wrong, folks. That's wrong. Now, God forgive me. I, I, if I, you know, I'm not opposed to any of his people. And, but I believe even prophecies and, and visions can be misunderstood. And I, I can only attribute it to that, because I'm not going to say this person didn't see what they saw. But 
I believe, based on Scripture, that that, that, that micro-sin is all it would have taken because if anyone's guilty at just one point of the law, the Bible says, they're guilty of the whole thing. So if you want to be justified by your works, then you have to do it all. If you've ever committed any sin, even that one little pinpoint, then, then you're guilty of it all. Unless. So you better be perfect or have a Savior who is. Amen. And I believe that's what he was trying to show this person. And they took it the other way. That's, that's really my belief. And the Lord maybe share that with me. Maybe I won't even care when I see him. That's probably the truth of it. But I'm not trying to speak against anybody. I'm just saying that there's all sorts of teachings out there. And see, that teaching right there, does that make you run to God when you have done bad? Or run from Him? That would make me run from Him. And that's what it's done to a lot of people. Let me tell you, God knew everything you were ever going to do before He even made you. And He did knit you together in your mother's womb. He knew you before the foundation of the world. He chose you. You didn't choose Him. There was a time in your life, maybe it's today, maybe it was 20, 50 years ago, when He started pulling you in, started whispering in your ear, Come on. Come on home. Come to me. I love you. And he drew you to the gospel, to a place where you could hear about Jesus, how he came and died for you and loves you and, and accepts you and, and wants to be your best friend. He loves you so much. But you have to continue to grow. Allow your mind to be renewed so that you're not... So, so you're not, you can't be persuaded by the world to have a demonic worldview, you see. Instead, you'll have a biblical worldview. You'll understand this is not your home anyway. You're only here for a flicker. God has a much greater place for you. Great things in store for this life and the next. He wants you to walk in victory and power. And He wants you to be helped. That's the acronym we talk about all the time for Grace and Truth Church. Help, healed, empowered, loved, and prospered. We want that for you. And then we want you to go and help others with that same help that you have received from God. Amen? Amen. All right. Well, I almost got to my message. Not through it, but to it. I almost got to it. But I feel like God has shared some things today. And, and we'll just stop here and start again next time. Amen? He does love you, though. That's the main thing. If you know He loves you, you won't run from Him. You'll run to Him. And if you ever believe anything I ever told you, He's faithful. He will not change his mind about you. He's not going to get upset with you. You can go to him and share with him anything. All the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. He's already put everything that Jesus is entitled to on your account. And now, 
you can run boldly into the throne room of grace, right into God's office, your daddy's office. I don't care what kind of meeting he's holding. And he said, come on in, baby. You need to know he got your picture in his wallet. Amen. And if you believe that, you'll seek him out and find out the truth. And you won't be able to be lied to by the world. Amen. Father, thank you for this day and for your precious word. We just thank you, Lord, that the enemy will not come and steal this word from your people. We will protect it, nurture it, allow it to take root and bear fruit in our lives. We thank you for loving us so much, for sending your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Lord, that our home is in heaven. We are ambassadors here for, for the time that we are here, either until you call us home or until you come back and get us. But either way, it's all good. And we love you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.